everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for this exceptional celebration of talent in our August open mic. First two brief announcements. First, we want to be sure everyone enters and has the opportunity to win our first ever Writing Works Wonders contest. Yes, it's the exactly 52 words contest and information is online at our website, writingworkswonders.com. Click contact us and you'll find all the details and be able to submit your entry for the prize, which is $25. We're getting entries from all over the world. So don't miss this opportunity to share your best effort in meeting the challenge that we're presenting to you. Secondly, writing works wonders weekly writing prompts. Can you say that three times fast? Well, people are really enjoying these and so are we. We have several ways to find the weekly prompts and also share your responses. Again, go to writingworkswonders.com and click contact us. You'll find information about the writing prompts you can see the weekly prompts you can enter your response as a comment. You can also email it in or text message or phone it in and we will transcribe it for you. You also have the opportunity to sign up for an email from us that comes out weekly, which includes the writing prompts and our Zoom information. Same page, writingworkswonders.com, contact us for the information. We enjoy celebrating your talent and want to do everything we can to encourage your writing success. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce to you my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. And let's get this party started. Hey, Kathy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another open mic at Writing Works Wonders. We have quite a lineup for you. And so without further ado, let's get started. First one up, Abby Taylor. This is Abby Johnson Taylor in Sheridan, Wyoming. And today I'd like to share with you a story that was partly inspired by Dolly Parton's song, Jolene, and by a local radio station's advertisement for a restaurant that specialized in foods made with Gouda cheese, which is a Dutch cheese. So this story is called A Gouda Day for Jolene. At the country kitchen in Sheridan, Wyoming, Dolly sits in a booth, dressed in a pink pantsuit, her blonde, frizzy hair sparkling in the sunlight. She barely touches her Gouda cheese omelet. Jolene sits across from her, wearing blue jeans and a white t-shirt with Wyoming cowboys emblazoned in bold black letters on the front. Her dark hair is cut short. She wolfs down her barbecue chicken sandwich, also with Gouda cheese. I'm surprised to see you, she tells Dolly. When I called and asked if we could meet, I didn't think you'd come all the way out from New York just to see me. I don't know what he sees in you, honey. You're so plain. Maybe it's the fact that I'm always there for him. I don't travel around the country, giving concerts, signing autographs, smiling at other men. But that's my work. He knew that when he married me. Why on earth would he want to live in Wyoming of all places? None of these towns are like LA or New York. He likes my ranch. In the evening, we sit on the front porch drink coffee, play chess, watch the sun go down. It's more romantic than some old penthouse in New York. How long has this been going on? We met at your concert in Denver last year. 
when he complained of a headache and told you he was going back to the Brown Palace, he was going there to be with me. So he's been cheating for the past year. I guess you could say that. While you were on the road, whenever he could take time away from the office, he'd fly up here. I'd meet him at the airport and drive him to the ranch. We'd have a high old time together. All those times he called me from his cell phone. He was with you. The corners of Dolly's mouth tremble as tears trickle down her cheeks. I guess so. Those times I called him at home and there was no answer. I assumed he was working late, says Dolly, taking a Kleenex from her purse and blowing her nose. Jolene picks up a French fry, pops it into her mouth, chews and swallows. Let's face it, Dolly, he doesn't love you anymore. Who can blame him? No man wants a wife who's never at home. She reaches across the table and takes Dolly's hand. You slut, says Dolly, jerking her hand away. She stands, picks up her omelet, flings it at the other woman, and hurries out the door, leaving Jolene, her face swathed in egg, smoked bacon, tomato slices, and Gouda cheese. The end. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's Annie Chapetta. I'm going to read three poems. Summer's Call. In the sky, the black bull roars. Plants droop, soaked in humility. Lightning spears the senses, sparking envy, fearless. Listen, listen to the passion of the storm's call, to the rain falling under the eaves, the sheltering doves cry. Witness the clash of gods on high and be wrapped with wonder. The end. The next poem is called Aurora Borealis. It comes in the night, polar glitter, hushes fields, settles like a silent paramour. Subdued breath whispers in the highest elevations, hues burst skyward like images woven among dreams. Surreal glow dances, pulses like an alien song. Northern lights, how lovely is the universe. The end. The next poem is called Sculptor. I'm gonna start the poem after a quote by Frederick Remington. Take away something to think about, to imagine. I touch a bronze replica, enormous body of the African buffalo, thousands of pounds, a mountain of animal accessible to fingers, wide splayed bovine hooves, trunk like legs, notched drooped ears, skull capped by graceful and deadly horns sweeping low, a practical helmet for tossing away predators. How this man met and communed with such an undeniable fiery soul one can only imagine the end. Thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Carla Hayes and I'm from McMurray, Pennsylvania where I work as a foreign language teacher and translator. Today, I'm gonna to share with you a science fiction story that I wrote. And the name of the story is Mastermind. My name is Everett Hadley. I am the Chief General of the National Army of the United States of the Eastern Hemisphere. Well, at least that's what I was. Now I am not because I am no more. My body doesn't exist anymore. Only my brain lives on. It is submerged in a large tub filled with vital fluids to keep me alive. It is hooked up to a bunch of resonators and respirators so that I can talk 
because they think I will give them some important information. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm sure you wonder how I got here. Well, let me tell you. When I had the job of chief general, I had designed a weapon that could entirely destroy our enemies of the Western Hemisphere. Yes, it had the potential to wipe out half the world of all of our enemies and not touch us. I know it's hard to even conceive of such a precise weapon, but our 31st century technology makes such a thing possible. Well, anyhow, our enemies somehow learned of our plans to build the weapon. They captured me, took out my brain, and put it in this tub. That is also possible. As soon as that was done, my body was burned in public so that my people would think that I had been killed. When that was done, the man in charge of the lab told me that if I explained to them how the weapon was built, they would give me a new body and make me president of the new republic when they won the war. But I knew better than that. So I didn't say a word, but they persisted. One day, a man came in and threatened to shut off all the, the machinery that kept my brain alive if I didn't tell. So I did. I mean, the instructions that I gave the officials couldn't have been any clearer. Just an hour ago, they came and told me that my weapon was finished and that it would be set off at any time now. And now here I wait for the big bang. I expect to hear it at any minute. And when I do, my heart will be at peace because I will know that I didn't betray my own people. How can this be? you might ask. Well, you see, I told the enemy how to build the weapon in the clearest words possible. What I failed to tell them was that the weapon is pointed right at them. Thank you very much. This short story called Faith by Diana Quiet Water Noriega. Faith, what do you know about this guy? Jill frowned at her best friend. You can't believe everything someone says when you've only met online. Well, he has a great sense of humor. The messages he sends me make me laugh. He's kind, loves children and animals. What else should I know? Faith twisted a strand of her long blonde hair between her fingers. Her pixie face clouded for a moment. Then the sunshine came out again as she spun her desk chair in circles. A lot more than just what he chooses to tell you in a chat room, girlfriend. He could be a cyber shark trolling for marks, a con man looking for some trusting soul to trick out of her money. You can't believe everything you read on social media. Faith's dimples appeared as she put down a dainty foot to stop the whirling chair. Well, I'm safe agreeing to meet him in a public place. I don't have any money anyway working here. True, but I'm coming with you. I'll sit at another table, and if things don't look right, or you decide you need to leave, you can pick up your drink with your left hand, and I will rush to the rescue. Jill promised. Okay, but that really isn't necessary. You know Heidi will be with me. Jeff is the one who will get a surprise when he has to run the gauntlet of my 90-pound roommate with teeth and a tail. She vets all my male acquaintances, and she's a nose for these things. She hasn't been wrong once. A guide dog isn't just a mobility aid or a fashion accessory, you know. I trust her to get me safely across streets and out of social situations that turn a bit sticky. 
I may be a little naive, but blind faith is who I am, not what I have, except in regard to my guide dog. Hi, I'm, I'm Valerie Reese Lerman, and I've got two poems today. One is called Living Now. Breathe as if it's your last breath. Walk a road untended and wild. Pay attention to the details that sketch your life. Draw bold and wide, ignoring mediocrity. Honor the love that binds. Be present for the small gifts laid upon your table, for your spirit to open soul to unwind become one with all we share world connected sublime my second poem is bridge to the other side see the moon stars that shine a sky blush at dawn see the new spring colors bright green shoots celebrate life a moment in space and time a pebble of sand on the beach of eternity a current and tide, morning tonight, we are but fleeting travelers, one soul, one life. Thank you. The Purging Fire Summary by Marlene Massat. College student Melissa Sanders, who has vision and hearing loss, seems to be unavoidably present wherever danger threatens in fictional Irondale, New Hampshire. Missy is just trying to help her friends. Her roommate Zoe is haunted by her unknown past through a reoccurring nightmare. Their dorm maintenance man, angry with God, has a granddaughter who is transfixed by fire. Missy knows that Alex has some dark secret he just won't share. As romantic interest sparks, college fire marshal Alex Marcus feels compelled to protect Missy from harm until a violent misunderstanding breaks their marital engagement. Only then it becomes clear that Melissa has been the arsonist target. And now an excerpt from The Purging Fire, performed by Timothy G. Little. Hi, Missy. May I join you? She looked up to see a handsome, tall, blonde man standing beside her. Her heart had seemingly joined the food in her mouth, so she nodded. She looked down at her plate. Her heart began to pound as he sat directly across from her. She looked up tentatively. He asked, Do you mind if my roommate Art joins us? He should be coming along soon. No, that's fine. My roommate Zoe will be here as well, and maybe my friend Lori from the bookstore. She picked at her plate for a few seconds and then ventured to ask, Alex... Could you tell me what this stuff is? I couldn't tell. He smiled, then he told her. You have sliced turkey in front of you, peas and mashed potato. On your tray, you have peaches at the top left side and butterscotch pudding on the right. Thank you, she replied. Again, he smiled and then responded. Anytime, my pleasure. They ate in companionable silence until their roommates joined them. Once settled, Art took a packet from his pocket and shook the contents into his cup of hot water. When Zoe asked what he was doing, he replied, Decaf. The stuff they serve here doesn't even qualify as instant coffee. Missy added, Zoe likes her herbal tea as well. Alex said, I guess we all have our eccentricities, as he picked up his teacup. Another girl joined them. Sorry I'm late. I had to help close the bookstore after we took stock of everything. What a mess. Alex asked, Was there much damage, Lori? Fortunately, not a huge loss. Some of the textbooks for next semester will have to be reordered. We lost a few supplies, but the fire was contained quickly. Thanks to our brave fire marshals here. Just doing our job, Arthur said quickly. He sawed at his turkey with his fork and knife. Hi, gang. Have you heard the latest news? Peter Early was pulling a chair from a nearby table over to join the group. Art sniffed and then commented. If you mean the bookstore fire, you're a bit late. We were all there, remember? Pete shook his head. No, I mean about the mental patient who escaped from the state hospital in Concord earlier today. 
At last report, he was said to be heading west. Heads came up. Zoe was the first to speak. You mean he might be heading this way? Pete nodded. Alex said, No, we hadn't heard about that. Yeah, Pete continued. There's a statewide manhunt out looking for him by now. Pete pointed to Art's tray. Somebody likes pudding. Art had taken two dishes for himself. I like butterscotch, Art replied, then scooped some potato into his mouth. Missy spoke. I can agree with that. They ate in silence for a time. Finally, Zoe asked, So, Pete, how did you get to become the editor of the town's paper at such a young age? Thanks. I worked with my uncle at the paper since I was in high school, and he recently retired and gave it to my charge. He also suggested I come back to school to complete my journalism degree, so here I am. Fortunately, it's almost there since this is my senior year. Alex teased. Scoop him, Pete. Hello, this is Michael Gandy. I give my books away by email through weekly and monthly programs along with talking books. I currently have readers in 17 countries and 34 U.S. states. To learn more, contact me at thegandymysteries1 at gmail.com. This is a short story called The Repairman. Sally Jacobs arrived early. The repairman saw her from the back, waved a 10-minute sign, then mouthed, get some coffee, pointing to the vacuum thermos on the counter. As Sally reached for a paper cup, she was startled by a smaller version of her husband sitting in a low chair behind the counter, short, fat, bald, reading a magazine. Unlike Dan, though, the cashier had horrible acne scars, a face full, and a harsh wheeze that asked, you want cream or sugar with that? We have some in the back. Sally shook her head no, pushed the knob on the top to get her fill, then leaned against the counter. No chairs out there. Come on around. Sit and visit a bit. Thanks, Sally said pulling a brown Samsonite chair leaning against the wall and placing it near the small space heater. As she sat, she glanced at the photo on the counter she'd seen the first time she was in. The picture was of a lovely girl, late teens, with honey blonde hair, impossibly blue eyes, and ideal features. She was everything Sally had always dreamed of being. The cashier noticed her glance but didn't say a thing. Let me ask you a question, Sally said. You mind? Go ahead. That man told me the last time I was in here that that was his wife. That is his wife. Sally shook her head, wondering whether to go on, but her curiosity was up and she just had to know. How come? What do you mean? She's stunning. What's she doing married to? Don't get me wrong, he's not ugly or anything, just ordinary, and he can't make much money here. But it seems like she could have done a lot better, you understand? Yes, I understand. There's a story behind. Tell me, please. The cashier sighed, drew a sip of coffee, then said, she was the most beautiful girl in school. Everybody said it. I can believe it. She dated the richest boy in town, a Robert Redford type, but more athletic. They must have been quite a couple. They were, and everybody couldn't wait until they got married. Just imagine what their children would look like, they all said. What happened? She got to be a model and broke up with him? No, he broke up with her. What happened? They'd been out one afternoon picnicking on the lake. He'd been drinking and had a little too much, so she was driving them home. It was around sunset. They were heading through an intersection on the outskirts of town near the airport when a truck ran the light. The car was hit on the driver's side and she turned at the second of impact. That's when the truck battery exploded. Oh no! She was splattered with battery acid, burned her from the waist up. Oh my God! Thank heaven she was wearing sunglasses. Saved her sight. Her boyfriend only got a few burns on his arm and broke a leg. She was in a burn unit for weeks. He came to see her fairly often while she had the bandages on. When she got them off, he came and saw her, and then didn't come back for a while. When he finally did return, he cried and said he was sorry, but this wasn't the deal he made, and he called off the engagement. It tore her up, of course, and she felt that nobody could ever love her. She really thought her life was over. She concentrated on herself for a long time, real miserable. One day, when she was sick and tired of all the misery, she noticed a fresh bud in a vase on a table just inside her hospital room door. She thought about it and realized that there'd been a new flower in that spot for days, weeks even. She asked the nurse, who told her that a young man came by early each morning to deliver it, usually when she was asleep. If she was awake, he'd ask the nurse to bring it in. She was intrigued by this and asked the nurse to wake her up early the next day, but to tell him she was asleep. She wanted to see him. So he came in and she said hello. He looked so frightened, it was almost as if he was being arrested. He nearly ran out, but she said, please don't go. It gets very lonely here. 
Then she looked at him closely and said, don't I know you? He just nodded. In school, right? You were in my, my chemistry class. I'm Walker, Walker Collins. Thank you for the flowers, Walker. I thought you could use some. And then he left. But he came back the next day. And then the day after that, she really had to push him to say more than hello. But she finally convinced him that she really wanted company that was her own age. And so he stayed longer and longer. There was a break when he had to go to summer camp as a counselor, and it really made her miss him. She realized then that she was falling in love with him. And then they got married. It took some time, but yes, they did. His family was against it, but he made up his mind, and they were married several years ago. How's she doing these days? She still has problems, mainly with her lungs. They put her on steroids when they fill up, and some of the medication makes her puffy, and then it hurts too much for her to put on her wig or even a scarf. She can't go out, so instead she comes down here and sits with him. He must really be something. He's quite a guy. Walker's the only person who sees her as she was, who looks at her like she's still the head cheerleader and the homecoming queen. She says he's the only mirror she ever needs. The TV repairman came out from the back, looked at the cashier and said, got your set, Ms. Jacobs. It just needed an adjustment, no charge. Oh, I must pay you something. Just remember me the next time you have TV or VCR trouble. He turned to look at the cashier. You doing okay, honey? I couldn't be better, she said. And she rewarded him with a dazzling smile. The end. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca Valladares, and I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. This is a story that I wrote about my second to youngest child. So here goes. I only have one daughter, and Jocelyn is her name. I have her since the day that she started growing inside of me. She was a precious baby who captured many hearts. And then she grew up to be a bright girl. We love your kind heart. You make us smile. Thank you. Hello, my name is Norma Bogey, and I'm from Des Moines, Iowa. I wrote this piece during a especially emotional time in my life. And I am humbled to say that it was subsequently published in an anthology. It's the only poem I've ever written. It's called Longing. When days are dark and the world's so cold and memories are all I have to look forward to. I think about you so sweet and so playful and how I love to see the boy inside the man. I know you love me for your own reasons and my heart holds a special place for you. Time and space conspired to keep us apart. And I'm sorry, fate dealt the hand it did. I will carry on, as will you, down separate paths. And I'll meet you where the stars collide. The end, thank you. Um, this is Pam Washam. I'm from Texas, but I live in Oklahoma right now. The story is called, I Came to Get My Rabbit. One day, I figured out that I was almost out of bunny food. So I walked the six blocks to the pet shop to buy some more. When I went inside, I heard the bell tinkle, as it always did. And then I heard quick little footsteps coming toward me and a voice I wasn't real familiar with saying, could you help me? I just don't know what to do. Could you please, could you please hold this, this little rabbit? I just don't know what to do. I thought, my gosh, what's, what's the big deal? So I said, sure, I'll hold a rabbit. Um, what's wrong? She said, oh, um, well, you'll see in a minute. Um, you'll see in a minute. Then I found out she had just got the job yesterday and she was a high school student in her senior year and everyone had gone to lunch and left her all alone in the store and she was nervous. So I took the little bunny out of her arms and oh my word, it was the softest bunny I ever touched in my life. It felt like a chinchilla. I'm not really sure if anybody else has touched a chinchilla, but it is the softest thing you could ever imagine. So I was holding this baby bunny that was soft, like a chinchilla all over, not just in one spot. 
He had beautiful stand-up ears. I asked her what color he was, and she said he was chocolate brown. So I kind of wandered around in the store a little bit, and then I heard the door open, and the bell tinkled again. And I heard this guy say, I came to get my rabbit. And I thought, oh, my God, this is really not good. So I thought, I think I'll just mosey on over to where the fish are. Maybe, maybe that's a good place to be. So the young girl says, well, uh, sir, uh, did you go and measure your snake? I did, she said. Okay, um, which rabbit was it you wanted again? I, I forgot. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't see that rabbit that I wanted in there. I bet you sold it. She said, no, I haven't really sold a rabbit all day. Well, where is it then? She said, I don't, um, uh, then he's, oh, I see it. I see it. I see it. That girl over there, she's got my rabbit. I thought, man, you have really met your match today. I said, hey, does this rabbit have your name on it someplace? He said, no. I said, well, did you pay for it? No. Well, so it's not your rabbit, is it? He said, well, I said I wanted it. Well, come on over here and get it then. He said, I ain't coming anywhere near you nor that dog of yours either. Why not? Because you got that look. What look? You know that look. I don't know anything about a look. So he whirled around and stomped out the store. He had big old boots on, I could tell. And he was saying words that I hadn't even heard a sailor say when I worked at the VA. So the door slammed, the bell tinkled, and I went up to the counter and said, how much is this little bunny? The girl said, oh, you don't have to buy it. Said, oh, yes, I do. He's going to come back. I know he will. So he was 20 bucks, and I happened to have 20 bucks, paid for the rabbit, put him in my backpack, forgot to get the bunny food, and walked home. I had that bunny. And I was happy, and he wasn't snake food. Actually, I thought he was a girl at first, so I named him Bonnie. Then, as the weeks went by, I figured out he was a boy. I thought, oh, no, what do I do? So I thought, well, I don't want to confuse the poor little thing. I'll just name him Bonnie Prince Charlie, which was a very fitting name for his beautiful, beautiful, velvety, velvety fur. I had that bunny for 14 years, and he died in his sleep one night. I hope he was having sweet dreams, and I still miss him a lot, but I'll never, never forget that day when I walked into that pet shop and held that bunny in my arms for the first time. The end. This is Alice, and Pam, thank you for that delightful story. I so enjoyed it. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you, Cheryl, and thank you also to Kathy. The poem that I'm going to share with you today is titled The Almost True Story of an Angel's Wing by Alice Jane Marie Massa. You thought I found the feather of a blue, bright-colored bird, but what I found was evidence of an angel's wing unheard. Unheard yet I felt a flow of air pirouette across my face, urged on by what I do not know, but I fell down upon my knees at that holy place. With hands outstretched, I searched blades of grass, grasped the luminescent white feather. As I twirled, the perfect feather in my hand, the delicate plume turned turquoise, a brilliant blue. Then, upon a west wind's gentle breeze, I heard these words so clear. Dear one, please know, angels' wings are white only on mission flight. While in that place 
you call heaven. The feathered wings are of unknown, unimportant color. However, on another planet, the feather absorbed the color of the finder's hope and prayer. The plume is not a piece of good luck, but a reminder to make that place you call community a softer, safer, kinder surrounding. You must keep this feather for each day as you work very hard at life. The feather will lift you up with laughter. The end. Hi, this is Terrell calling from Maine. Thank you all. This is, this is such fun, actually. What I've written, I wrote in response to the prompt. The title is using the words that were suggested, bombastic, conundrum, diabolical, kaleidoscope of serendipity. As an abacus adds a bamboozled buffalo's bounces, it causes a coughing conundrum, dark, dripping, diabolical, exploding eggs, fight flipping frogs, and giant gargantuan grapes to hoist happy hogs into icy igloos. They're joined joyfully in with a kaleidoscope of kangaroos who are languidly leaping monstrous mountains while notorious nighttime newts overrun the ocean with perpetual prowling patrol. Quiet, quick, and quarrelsome rabbits run slipshod over while squealing and sinful serendipity and toppling towers of trumpets, utopian usurping unicorn, used valiant, valuable violin, winning warbles and whistles from X's and O's, yowls and yelps and yowls from zippered zebras. Thank you. The next reading will be by Annie D. Davis. It is the first chapter of an in-progress novel, Kindred Spirit. Chapter 1. I am Angelina. I had the craziest dream last night. My mom always says God blessed me with a vivid imagination and that I should write a book about all the dreams I have at night. Anyway. It was contest week at St. Mary the River Middle School, and I had won three contests right in a row. Reading, computer, and singing. In computer, we had a typing test, and I had the highest typing speed of 398.2 words per minute. Isn't that insane? I mean, people say I type pretty fast, probably 130 words per minute. I bet anybody who types 398 words per minute would make a lot of mistakes. Just my thought. For a prize, I won a five-pound Reese cup, of all things, which I had all to myself. I didn't even share it with Rebecca, my best friend. Her favorite candy is Snickers, and I can guarantee you, if she had gotten a Snickers bar that big, she wouldn't share it with me. But that's okay, because, I mean, I know they say best friends share, but to me, part of true friendship is knowing what your friend loves and letting her have it. At least that's how Rebecca and I work. Getting back to my dream. For reading, I read an excerpt from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis as a speech and won a blue ribbon for my outstanding presentation. It was weird because I'm not really a fan of C.S. Lewis. In real life, I would have picked Anne of Green Gables or Babysitter's Club. Oh yeah, speaking of Babysitter's Club, about three years ago, I made it a goal to read the entire series. I was in the third grade then. Of course, now I'm in the sixth grade. 11, soon to be 12, and 
I have read every single book in this series. BSC was literally all I read in those three years. They're just that good. Christy, the president of the Babysitter's Club, reminds me of Rebecca's older sister, Alicia, who used to babysit me when I was younger. She actually babysat me and Rebecca both, and that's how we became friends. Christy's the one who started the Babysitter's Club, and obviously she stuck with it. Otherwise, there wouldn't be those hundreds of sub-odd books to follow Christy's great idea. Alicia is 18 now, and when she was in the seventh grade, she started this all-girls creative writing club at school. See, we all go to Catholic schools, and even though Alicia goes to an all-girls high school, she's a senior now. The club is still going strong, and she's even included some of the guys from the all-boys high school across the street. They love it. When Alicia goes to college, she's majoring in English literature and creative writing. She's hoping to be a professional author someday. Go figure. I think anything Alicia would write could be just as good, maybe even better than Babysitter's Club. Who knows? Last summer, Rebecca got me started reading Anna Green Gables. I love how when Anne introduces herself to Matthew in the beginning of the first book, she goes on and on about how she'd rather be called Cordelia, and she says, Am I talking too much? That is so me. Just ask my family, and Rebecca for that matter. When I was little, my grandma named me Chatty Kathy, which is like the stupidest nickname ever. Sometimes in school, I'll get talking, and kids will say, Angelina, shut up. You never let any of us talk. That's not all true. I'll listen most times, but other times I just have a lot to say. A lot of people who know me really well don't mind my chattiness because that's just the way I am. It's what makes me unique, as my mom would say. Oh, and there's one other thing I have in common with Anne. When she was in Miss Rogerson's Sunday school class and Miss Rogerson asks these questions about scripture, Anne was always the first one to answer. Some kids in my Sunday school class say I was like that. But hey, it's not my fault I've had the Bible drilled into me all my life. My mom, being a Sunday school teacher, always says, you'll appreciate it later, but we'll see. My mother, Maria Valentino, does everything. She's an acting coach and a Girl Scout leader, too. Once again, getting back to my dream last night. For the singing contest, I sang Ave Maria, a song that my mom is obsessed with. I love opera, but I hate that song. Kim. Be light about the thing we all have in common, which you will hear. Where are you in the world of light? Is it partly cloudy or always night? I'll tell you something lots of fun. Light was created before the sun. Something created by someone. I'm in the dark for some good reason but it's only for a season. The angel crowd of witnesses watch to see what I'll do with this. Even in twilight, I am his temple. This might help blind-hearted people. Faith in Jesus will become sight, even if not in this life. With your own eyes, you will know the light created long ago. His life is the light of men. For us, there will be light again, more perfect than it's ever been. The end. Debbie Green. Fourth quarter. When some people reach a certain age, it seems their life is done. Yes. They still have birthdays, but they don't seem to be having fun. So I have made a decision. I will not be that way. Each year is a gift from God, and I will celebrate the day. Yes, I've had a wonderful life. Many joys along the road. Some may think it's time to coast. Let others carry the load. But that ball game isn't over after one quarter or two or three. It's what happens 
in the fourth quarter that tells what the score will be. So as I celebrate this birthday, I know exactly what I'll do. I'll give this fourth quarter all I've got. I'm only 72. The end. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. We have Lisa. Thank you. I'm going to read a poem. It's entitled Unconditional Love. I may not agree with your choices, and I still love you. I may not like the people you hang out with, and I still love you. I may not like the music you listen to, and I still love you. I may not agree with your career choices, and I still love you. I may not like the way you treat me, and I still love you. I may not like the way you cut me off when we speak, and I still love you. We may, not, we may have different points of view, and I still love you. We may have different perspectives, and I still love you. We may not accomplish goals the same way, and I still love you. We may not be as close as I'd like, and I still love you. We may never be close, and I still love you. You may not agree with my lifestyle, and I still love you. You may never forgive my actions, and I still love you. You may never be there when I need you, and I still love you. You might not be there when I cross over, and I still love you. That's what unconditional love is. I asked for a child to give unconditional love to. You answered the call, so God sent me you. Thank you for choosing me. I can meet you where you are now. I can support you in a way you need. I can listen without a word. I can offer advice when asked. I'm there for you because I love you. The end. Thank you. Marlene Massat. Thank you. This is in response to your five-word prompt. The title is The Great Sea Conundrum by Marlene Massat. Grumbling could be heard throughout the camp. People, animals, and belongings pushed forward across desolate sands. It was not serendipity that led them to this plight. The people surely felt bamboozled by their diabolical enemies who had enslaved them. They certainly felt trapped in a kaleidoscope of captivity and flight in their journey. Conundrum appeared in the form of the Great Red Sea. How would they cross the end? Very creative solution you came up with, Marlene. Thank you. Thank you. Deanna Noriega. That made me think of a poem I wrote to put in a basket of apple-scented, apple-flavored things that I gave at a church bazaar for an auction. I just found everything that had anything to do with apples. Days are warm and nights are cool. It's apple time again. Wine sap, Jonathan, Granny Smith, Gravenstein, red and gold and delicious, Fuji and Arkansas black. Sweet and tart, red, yellow, and green, they weigh down the branches. I fill my hands with pleasure, pile them in a basket. I tuck them in lunch boxes, glossy globes of treasure, a present for the teacher, a treat for a pony. Not even Eve could resist savoring this delight. Diced in a jello salad, combined in countless ways, apple butter, applesauce, apple cider and pie, Baked apples, fried apples, holding harvest memories when the winter winds blow. And that's apples. <laughs> okay, now I'm hungry for apples. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for coming today. Thank you for participating. Thank you for listening in. Let's give our participants a round of applause. <clears throat> Outstanding talent. Thank you so much for being with us today and we appreciate all of you until next time my friends keep on writing and kathy you want to close us out no live show next week for labor day weekend the interview that we'll be posting is with robert Kennett, and it's a fabulous one 
That will be episode 28. You don't want to miss that one. That's going to be bonus content. Remember, you may submit your writing prompt responses by email via the website or voicemail or text. Here's the writing prompt for next week. It is write an eight-word story about a parade. Yes, it's flash fiction. Thank you, everyone, for making this inspiring celebration of talent today. Be sure to visit writingworkswonders.com to find all the many opportunities to write and participate in our events. All opportunities to join Zoom calls, contests, writing prompts, and open mic events are available through our Contact Us portal, writingworkswonders.com, and click Contact Us on the website. We also have a donate button, which gives you several ways to help us pay our technical expenses. We are fortunate that all our staff, including Chanel and Larry, Cheryl and myself, volunteer their time and skills, as well as our authors and readers today. Thank you. Thank you. You may contact Cheryl and Kathy through the contact page, email us at writingworkspodcast at gmail.com, or telephone us at 347 347- 467-0221. Above all else, we want you to be encouraged, inspired, and enjoy the wonder of writing. We look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for joining us today. Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. Now tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. We also have a donate button, and that's to help with the expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this show and podcast going. There's a link there that you can tap on that will take you directly to our website at www.writingworkswonders.com. There you will find all the information we talked about today, along with show notes and so much more. We want you to feel encouraged and inspired to know the wonder of writing. And until next time, our friends... Keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.